You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. Thank you, Father God. I thank you for the word. I thank you for your word that is life and truth. It brings hope. It brings light. Father, thank you that you speak to us today only how you can speak. Speak right to our hearts. Holy Spirit, push every button you want to push in our heart. Bring, bring things to the surface. Convict us. Convict us. Because we want what you want. We want to be headed where you want us to be headed. We want to walk in the path that you have for us. So, Father, speak like how a father speaks because you're a good father and you desire good for your children. I thank you for your anointing to rest in every home right now in Jesus' name. And that there is peace present right now in every home. I declare it right now in the name of Jesus. Every person that's on their phone, that's on their laptop, that's, that's watching through their TV, however they're watching right now in the name of Jesus, I declare peace. I declare peace. I thank you that they are arrested by the Spirit of God. And that they are giving their attention to the words that the Spirit would speak to them right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Well, like I promised, we're going to continue on the Beatitudes. We're going to do the last four um, Beatitudes that are written in Matthew 5. Um, So I'm just going to do a quick recap. Or not a recap, but just explain for those that didn't watch it or remind us for those that forgot. The Beatitudes is what we're studying. And the Beatitudes are twofold. They are how you come into the kingdom of God. They're how you you come in, but then they're also how you walk out your Christian life successfully. It's how you walk in the kingdom um, life successfully is by the Beatitudes. Now, remembering that the Beatitudes are a, they are what you, how did I write this in my notes? Let me look here. Um, The Beatitudes are about being, not doing. So you can remember it by the be attitude. So they're about being, not doing. Christians are something before they do something. They are something before they do something. In other words, I I accept Jesus into my life. I ask him to be my Lord and Savior. He comes in and I become the righteousness of God in Christ. He comes into my life and I become that, the righteousness. I didn't do anything for it. I didn't do a bunch of good works to become the righteousness of God in Christ. I became it because of the price that Jesus paid. And then, because I became the righteousness of God in Christ, I live out a righteous life. So you are something before you do something. So the Beatitudes are about being, not doing. There is a place that God is wanting to take us by his grace. And understand that when we go into the Beatitudes today, none of it 
can be done on your own. None of it. It was never meant to be apart, separated from his spirit, but it was meant to be done by his grace and every day living in the presence of the Father, seeking him, seeking his will, spending time with him. That's how we do it. And this is where God wants to take us. Also remember that the Beatitudes are about being happy. They are about being happy. The, every beatitude starts with blessed are they. And that word blessed means happy. Happy are they that mourn. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy. And I think that it's so interesting that in this day and age, everyone, including Christians, are looking for happiness. Happiness. And Jesus shows up and says, happy are they that do these things. So I have a thought for you. The Christian life, of all of all of the things, was meant to be a happy life. So think about that for a moment. Are you happy? And I'm not talking about happy as in like happy because things went my way, happy because I have no, um, you know, stressors going on in life, things happening. Happy because inside, no matter what. I'm happy because this is what Jesus is talking about. But here's the thing is we've, we've taken happiness and we've distorted it and we called happiness things. We called happiness positions. We called, if, if my everything is great in my job, then I'll be happy. If I have the perfect job, then I'll be happy. If I have the perfect spouse and the perfect children, then I'm happy. If I have the money that I need, then I'm happy. If I have the status, if I get to be on a platform and everybody gets to worship me or honor me, then I'll be happy. If things go right, then they'll be happy. Jesus says, no, that's not the kingdom. That's not the way of the kingdom. Those things, those, that's actually the way of the world. And if I was really blunt, I'd say that's the kingdom of darkness. And we've distorted our thinking as to what makes me happy. Those things make me happy. It's not, you'll search forever. Those things won't make you happy. And so Jesus, in this moment, in the Sermon on the Mount, he shows up and he is talking to a group of people who all have their ideals on what happiness looks like. And he begins to say, I'm going to tell you a little something about the kingdom. This is what happiness is. And he begins to push each person's button, right? He says, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the poor in spirit. And they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought... It was by self-righteousness. I thought it was by the works that I do. Wait. Pushes some other buttons. Happy, happy are the pure in heart. Wait. I thought it was about all the rules and the regulations of how we adorn ourselves and how we look on the outside and how we conduct ourselves. I thought that was what the goal was. And Jesus says, no. Pushes some more buttons. Happy are the persecuted. Wait. I thought it was about how many people looked up to me. How they saw God in me. I thought it was about how many people honored me. 
by my righteous living. I, and Jesus says, no. And little by little, he's teaching them this unhappiness and he's taking down these ideals that they have had in their life, distractions that have actually kept them from the kingdom. And he's beginning to tell them this isn't how it is. And I actually think that we're reading this today and we're talking about it as Jesus stepping in and saying, we have some ideals, guys, church. We have some ideals that we thought was the kingdom of God. And he says, it's not. Those are distractions. You're running after things that aren't of the kingdom. And you're wondering why your life hasn't lined up or been happy because you're actually running after the world's ideals rather than mine. Remember, the kingdom of God is opposite. And so he shows up today to us, to all of us, and says, hey, let's take a look at what kingdom living looks like by his grace. So let's start. I'll read the Beatitudes to us, and then we'll start in verse 7. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, this is Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 7, merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Mercy means to be, or excuse me, merciful means to be full of mercy. To be full of mercy. That's pretty obvious. But to understand mercy, you need to understand justice. You have to understand justice. So justice means this. Justice is giving a person what he deserves. Mercy is not giving a person what he deserves. And grace is giving a person what he doesn't deserve. Ready? We'll say it one more time. Justice is giving a person what he deserves. You, you did this, you deserve to go to jail. Okay? It's giving a person what he deserves. Mercy is not giving the person what he deserves. And grace is giving a person what he doesn't deserve. So in other words, it looks like this for me. Justice means he sends me to hell. Because of my sin, I deserve to go to hell. That's justice. Mercy is that he doesn't send me to hell. And grace is that he sends me to heaven. Grace is that I get to go to heaven. So not only does mercy show up and say, I'm not sending them to heaven. I'm, I'm going to do even better. I'm, gonna I'm not sending them to hell. I'm going to do even better. I'm going to send them to heaven. You see, we need to understand that God is a God of justice. He requires justice. And he required justice for our sin. Look at this. This talks about God's justice. Ezekiel 18, verse 25. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, 
Is it not my way which is fair or your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgression which he committed. He shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says the way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are not fair? This is God. There, there must be justice. And so you understand because God's a God of justice, he sent Jesus. Because a price had to be paid for our sin. And so he sent Jesus in our place. That's beautiful. So God is a God of, of justice, and he gave Jesus what you deserved. But he's also a God of mercy. Or Isaiah 136 says over and over and over again, if you go and look at it, it says over and over again that the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. His mercy does not end. It doesn't end. So God shows mercy on everyone. But we need to understand that in our thinking, a lot of times we think that God's mercy is just for the victims. But God's mercy is for those that have wronged as well. Those that have wronged you that his mercy is also upon them. And I know that that's a, we don't like to think about that, but you need to understand that God's mercy rests on the victims and those who victimize. This is mercy. So blessed are the merciful. The cultural meaning, which is what we would come to know, would be to show compassion on the poor or the guilty, okay? We show compassion like, oh, I, I kind of see where they went wrong. I see. I understand. But the word merciful actually means to compassionate. To compassionate. So not just to show compassion, but to compassionate. Which means that they, it's an actual state of action. So I'm not just like, oh, that poor person over there. My heart goes out to them. I just have so much compassion. No, it actually means that because I have so much compassion and so much mercy towards that person that I actually want to go do something about it. And that's what Jesus did, right? The Bible says over and over again that he was moved by compassion. What was he doing? He was compassionating. And then we see it even on the cross, right? He had mercy on us. He had compassion on us that he did something about it. He showed compassion. And that's what this word is saying. You see it in the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, um, you, you know that there's a guy, he's a Jewish man, he's been beat up and left for dead, bloody, robbed, all of the things, left poor. And... A religious leader and a worship leader, they both 
separate times, they walk past, they see him laying there, and then they cross over to the other side of the street and they do nothing about it. Maybe, maybe, the Bible doesn't say it, but maybe they had compassion on the person. Maybe they were like, oh, poor bloody bruised robbed guy, that's too bad. I feel bad for him. And then maybe they went home and they're like, oh, just really feeling it in my spirit. I should pray about that guy, hey? You know, just feeling bad about it. Poor guy, bad luck, you know? I've known that guy for years. He's just a stream of bad luck. It's too bad. As opposed to what the Good Samaritan did was he compassionated, which means he showed compassion, but it moved him to do something. He was moved with compassion. Religion will make you measure who needs more mercy than another. And God says, all, all, everyone. I wrote that you know that mercy is to be shown to the unlovely too, right? To the ones that you don't agree with, to the ones that annoy you, to the ones that have wronged you, to the ones that don't believe like you do, to the ones that you consider less than yourself, which is another problem all on its own. It's meant to be shown to the unlovely and that in our culture today is a problem. You're seeing a merciless generation begin to rise up. You can see it. You see it all over the internet. You see it on social media. They call it cancel culture, which is really merciless culture where you make one mistake or I, you say one thing wrong or I misunderstand you one way and I will make sure that you pay. Merciless. And God says, that's not the way of the kingdom. You spouting out all of the, that's not showing mercy. They believe differently than you. You don't need, you do not need to attack them. Because my children, they're to show mercy. People attacking people, no mercy. And you know what? The church has picked up on that culture. Mercy is an attitude or an action towards someone who is undeserving of it. So Matthew 5 reads, Blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So it could be read, Happy are those who compassionate, for they will continue to receive it and give it out. In other words, it's a cycle. You, you receive mercy, you give it back out. Because I received mercy for who I was. I was, I was blind, I was bloody, I was a sinner, I was in a mess. I received mercy, now I just give it up. And I give it out, I just give it out everywhere because I know what it was like. And it just keeps cycling itself. Hebrews 2.17 says, Therefore it was essential that he had to be made like his brothers, 
in every respect so that he might, by experience, become a merciful and faithful high priest in things related to God, to make atonement for the people's sins, thereby wiping away the sin, satisfying divine justice, there's justice again, and providing a way of reconciliation between God and mankind. That word mercy means to literally walk in their shoes. To walk in their shoes. Mercy comes from mercy. Oh, if we could begin to look, if we could begin to change our mindset, let the Holy Spirit work on it to see people for the miles that they've walked in their shoes. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 says, Do you not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, um, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomite, thieves, um, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortionists will inherit the kingdom of God. Look at this though, and he says, And such were some of you, and such was some of me, But I was washed, but I was sanctified, but I was justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. If there is any characteristic that a Christian should have, it should be merciful. So ask this of yourself, who are you withholding mercy from today? What have you justified that it was okay for you to hold somebody in contempt? Father, forgive us. For you've forgiven us of so much. Forgive us, Father, for holding people in contempt, for not showing mercy, for looking down at people, for not loving the unlovely. Father, forgive us. And let the revelation of just how much mercy you've shown on us be opened up to us once again. And, and it not be about our self-righteousness or how we think that we've earned it, but just because you loved us so much that you sent Jesus and showed us mercy. That we would become people that were merciful, that showed compassion, that did something about it, and not lived inward, focused lives, holding people in contempt, judging people, but, extend, but instead be people that extend mercy. Thank you, Father. The next one, verse 8, the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I've talked a lot lately about pure in heart, so I'm going to touch on this just a little bit. I think, um, I think Joel next week is preaching on um, purity, so I won't steal his message. Um, but pure means to be free from an impure mixture, completely innocent, completely blameless. So he's saying those that are completely innocent, completely blameless, they'll see God. That those whose hearts are like that, 
Anyone, I can't see your hands, but you could raise it, and I know you're lying. If you said, yes, absolutely, I did that on my own, I've just really worked at it, and I have a pure heart. <laughs> I don't know what media is doing back there, but they're beating each other up. I don't know. Someone must have raised their hand. <laughs> okay, if you think that, let's look at Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. That's how I know you're lying if you raised your hand. <laughs> so look at this, John 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher comes from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, look at this, he cannot see, there's that word, the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Could he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered him, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You must be born again. The only way, the only way that you can even catch a glimpse you must be born again. And remember, we talk about the Beatitudes, and I said, it's your way into the kingdom of God. It's, it's saying this is the way into the kingdom, and then this is the way that you live successfully. You cannot, you cannot think, listen to this, being born again is surrendering your life to Jesus. And then saying, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I surrender everything to you. Come and fill my life. Come be the Lord of my life. Surrendering to Jesus. Asking him to come and enter into your life. That's how you get saved. You are not saved if you believe in God. If you just believe in God. Oh, I believe there's a God. You're not saved. You're not saved if you try to be a good person. You will not go to heaven. That's not going to get you there. It's great. I'm glad, that, I'm glad that you believe in God. That's great. I'm glad that you want to do good things and you want to be a good person. But, but the Bible is very clear and it says you must be born again. That's the only way. The Bible says in another verse, it says the only way to the Father is through the Son. The Son is Jesus Christ. So you must be born again. So the pure in heart, what happens is when you accept Jesus into your life, He cleans you up. He makes you pure. And that's the only way that the pure in heart see God through Jesus. So right now, if you're watching and you're like, well, I, I've gone to church my whole life. I believe in, I believe in church. I believe in God. I, be, I, I, I believe all those things. I'm telling you, you must be born again. You must accept Jesus into your life. It's the only way. It's what he says, the pure in heart will see 
God. That's how your heart gets pure. But then there's, right, there's living successfully within the kingdom. And that's the place of intimacy with God, with Jesus, with the spirit of purity. That you sit day after day with the spirit of purity, which is Jesus, which is the Holy Spirit. And you let him speak into your life. You let him clean the things up. So there's two different things. There's positional purity, which is when you accept Jesus into your life, you are in right standing with him. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. His spirit lives in you. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. That is what happens when you accept Jesus into your life. You become positionally pure, but then there is practically pure, which means because of the position that God has placed, Jesus has placed me in, because of who lives inside of me, I am now pure. There, because of that position, I then live from that place of living out purity in my life not contaminating it. You know, some of us have contaminated it. Some of us have brought in, we are just actually talking about this. We've added new age and we've added the world system and we've taken a little bit of this and we've taken a little bit of that because it looked good, felt good. Or maybe we've been dabbling in stuff that God says that's not for you. And we've been placing those things in our heart and it clouds it, it dirties it, it muddies it. So before we move on to the next one, what is God speaking to you about right now that he's asking you to put away? Or what mixture have you added to your life that time and time again he's asked you to put away? Or are you born again? Because coming to church and showing up online, coming to prayer, or just praying at home is not being born again. Born again is when you give up control of your life and give yours to Jesus. Now those things aren't bad. Coming to church is great. Praying, wonderful. But asking Jesus into your life you can't get around that. The pure in heart. Think about that. You know when he, Jesus is saying that? So this is really exciting. But Jesus is saying that. He's saying, all right, guys, whoever you are, anybody, everybody, the pure in heart, they get to see God. Do you know how exciting that is? That's to anybody. That's to you. That's if you don't, if you don't even know, you're just tuning in right now, and I'm like, first time I've ever heard about Jesus. Guess what? You accept him into your life, doesn't matter who you are, the pure in heart, they get to see God. No exceptions. That's exciting. Next one, peacemaker. Blessed are, verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. God is a God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when sin entered the world, conflict began to enter. Unrest began to enter the world. 
And we hear the saying, and we've heard it forever since before I was born, just world peace. We just want world peace. Just, just hoping for world peace. Well, the reason the world doesn't have peace is because they've rejected God. And they won't have peace if they continue to reject him. Because God is peace. He is the author of peace. And if you reject it, you reject peace. And so God says, blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are the peacemakers. Now, let me say this. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of Jesus. We can't be peacemakers or we can't make peace unless we know what or who peace is. Peace is Jesus. And the Bible says we're to be peacemakers, not peacekeepers. Peacekeepers avoid conflict. I, I love to avoid conflict. I do not like confrontation. I know there are, nobody likes confrontation. I mean, if you do, you're a small percentage. But we avoid conflict. We don't say what really needs to be said. We kind of just draw back from it. That's not what he's calling you to be. He's like, don't, he's not like, let's just keep everything quiet, sweep it all under the rug and there'll be peace. There won't, it'll explode at some point. Someone's gonna trip over it. Peacemakers are those that resolve conflict. They resolve it. They bring Jesus into situations. That's what peacemakers do. There's conflict going on. They're gonna walk into a room and they're gonna watch the atmosphere change because they're bringing the presence of someone with them. They're after it. It's the heart of them. It's, I need, to, I need to make sure that peace is being made everywhere. So let me ask you this question. What area of your life do you not have peace in? What area can you honestly say, I need peace? I need peace in this area. Then let me say this. You need to bring Jesus into that area. You need to surrender that area. You need to do what you need to do to bring peace into that area is the absence of Jesus. You need Jesus in that area. Isaiah 26, three says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, God reconciled us to himself and gave us the same ministry of reconciliation, meaning he made peace with us so that we would then be peacemakers. He gave you the ministry of reconciliation. What is that? The ministry of making peace. James 3, verse 17 says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Those who make peace. Having peace, that's a desire. But making peace is a decision. It's a decision. 
That, that if I mean, the Bible talks about it, our church, we've, we've talked about this many times, but the church globally, God is calling us into a place where he is wanting unity because where there is unity, there's anointing. Incredible things happen when people are in unity, when the spirit of unity is there. But if we are avoiding conflict, not talking about it, not going after one another, when somebody is at odds, you know what? Um, Matthew's so great, hey? Like, I, it's all coming up to me right now. But in Matthew, um, it talks about if somebody is at odds with another person. And, and he says, what you do is you go to that person and say, hey, can we make this right? Is there anything? What can we, uh, you know, when you try to, try to make peace, it doesn't work? Okay. You go back, you bring someone with you and say, hey, we've got trouble among us and we need to maintain the unity of the body of Christ. So I need your help to speak into it. If that doesn't work, he says, okay, go get the elders, bring it back. And, and you keep trying to do everything that you can to make peace. Then you stand before the church. You're making peace. What are you doing? I am going after the place of I am called to be um, a peacemaker. I carry within me the spirit of reconciliation. But instead, what we've done is if you don't agree with me, if you look at me wrong, whatever, all of the things, if you say something bad about me, if you don't agree with me, I will write you off. And we wonder why there's brokenness in the body of Christ. God says, that's opposite. That's not the way the kingdom was designed. You are to be peacemakers. Go after it. And let me tell you that when you go after it, there's a grace and there's an anointing for it. You'll watch the spirit of unity. I could tell you stories about it, of where we've watched as, as people begin to connect their hearts together, where there's, been, um, where there's been backbiting or strife, when you begin to walk into that place to be like, I endeavor to, to maintain the unity of the body of Christ, you'll see the spirit of unity rest on it and it's an incredible thing. So I encourage you, the last part of it says, they shall be called the sons of God. And literally, that means the sons of God. They'll look like them. They'll act like them. Why? Because God's peace. That's how they conduct themselves. So let me ask you this question. Is there any area of your life where you are the cause of conflict? Where you have your opinions and your ideals and you are holding so tightly to them that you are withholding peace from people. It's the opposite kingdom. Lastly, persecuted, and I'm almost finished. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This one's kind of like the blessed are they or happy are they who mourn, right? The same one. Happy are they who are persecuted. <laughs> when you live out the Beatitudes, you will be persecuted. When you live out the kingdom life, you will be persecuted. And persecution doesn't mean when things go wrong in your life, like you got a flat tire and you had a bad hair day and you left your lunch at home and you're just persecuted. The enemy has just attacked you all day. It's not, it's not what he's referring to. He's talking about persecution, and it means this. To make someone run, to put to flight, to pursue in hostile manner, to harass, to trouble, to harass or punish in a manner designed to injure, designed to grieve, and designed to afflict, specifically to cause, to suffer um, because of a belief, to annoy, to be persistent, and to be urgent with attacks, please, 
attacks and pleas. So that doesn't sound very nice. And the Bible says over and over again, you're, you're going to be persecuted. There's no, there's no loophole around this. You live in the kingdom, you live the kingdom ways, you will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, For all who choose to live passionately and faithfully as worshipers of Jesus, the anointed one, will also experience persecution. What's the beginning of the verse say? For all. All of them. Everyone. <laughs> so if you're going to live your life in the kingdom, you will be persecuted. Philippians 1.29 says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. You will be persecuted because darkness hates light. And the brighter you shine, the more persecution. John 15, verse 18 says, If the world hates you, remember they hated me first. And understand this, that persecution does not come from people. It comes from Satan because he is darkness and he hates the light. It may come through people, but it's not from people. We still show mercy to people. Verse 10 again says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Righteousness. Whose righteousness? Jesus. Blessed are they who are persecuted because of Jesus. He is righteousness. So I end with this thought. First he says, Happy are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, but A thought that I thought in my own life, am I suffering persecution right now? Am I suffering persecution for Jesus' sake or for the gospel's sake? If not, how come? How come? Am I maybe making allowances, bending what I say so that I won't offend? so that people will like me, hiding bits of truth so that people don't hate me? Don't, uh, am I not being vocal about the truth I stand for so that I inevitably avoid persecution? That's a thought. Because if he says they're going to persecute you, if you're not being persecuted... And you know what? It's not about how much love you give, right? Like if you love more, if you're kinder and just love them so much, they won't persecute you. No, because Jesus loved more than all of us and they killed him. Right? This is designed to make us uncomfortable. You remember that from the last one, right? But let me tell you a story as I end. I was doing nails and uh, there was this this woman that I did nails on for years and I just loved her, still love her to pieces, just, just the coolest person, right? And uh, we, you, you become friends with your clients because you see them every three weeks for like an hour. You just, so, you know, imagine having coffee all the time with all these people. They become your friends. And so she was my friend and uh, she came, we're doing nails and she, t- she had a real feminist um, approach, um, uh, like women's rights and, and not that all of that's bad, but 
she was really pro-abortion. And um, obviously we're not at all. We believe that we believe in life. And we believe that God ordained life. Every baby from the moment that it's conceived is life that God ordained. And so I say that because I'm, I'm, I'm listening to her talk and I don't even, I can't even remember the conversation. I just remember the feeling. And, but the conversation went something along the lines of where she was really into getting into anti-abortion or abortion women's rights and, and women should be able to make that decision for themselves to take the life of a baby. And, and um, because I liked her so much and I, and I, and I, and I didn't want her to not like me. It wasn't about my business. It wasn't about having her as a client. It was about having her as a friend and her looking at me bad. And so I don't even know how the conversation took a turn. And I didn't come right out and say, I agree with abortion too. But she would have definitely walked away from that conversation thinking that I agreed with her. And I felt so sick to my stomach. And why did I do that? so that I wouldn't be persecuted. So that I didn't look bad. So that I didn't offend. Guess what? The gospel offends. It is offensive. But it's also freeing. It's also the good news. It's also the good gift. And we're withholding things to protect who we are, to protect ourselves so that we don't get persecuted. Meanwhile, we allow the world to stay in their chains, in their bondage, in the darkness so that we save ourselves. That's opposite of Jesus. That's antichrist. When we have the truth within us, the Bible says the truth will set you free. And we're withholding truth. The very thing that would set them free. Come on. And Jesus said, happy are the persecuted. I'll end there. Adam, you can come. Verse 11. God blesses you when people mock you. What? God blesses you when they persecute you and when they lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are his followers. He blesses you. Thank God. So be happy about it. Be very glad. For a great award awaits you in heaven and remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in this way. God blesses you. So are you? being persecuted today. The end of the chapter says, make sure you pray for those who persecute you. Make sure you pray for them. I love you. I love you. I hope God's speaking to your hearts today. I definitely, um, he was speaking to my heart in a million different ways as I was beginning to um, write this message out. I love you. Have a good week. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.